Good morning. I think at this time the kids and youth will be dismissed. The kids are up here. Youth will be in the back. Um, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, I was reminded last weekend I was officiating a wedding of one of my oldest friends, which is a, a special kind of gift and treasure. Um, when you have someone who you were snotty nose together and then you get to do their wedding, it's real fun. Um, but at that wedding, uh, as often happens in weddings, when you reunite and connect to people, you tell old stories. And, and so one of the things that was interesting is one of the guys in the wedding who was a little bit older than us growing up, um, I was reminded of, 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 of something that happened at a camp. I, so I have two camps that I went to. Ericoina is really the camp of my heart. That's, my, that's like my love, right? That's the camp that I grew and God did all these great things. But the first camp I went to was actually located on the other side of Chambersburg. Um, so it's about less than an hour from here. It's in Fayetteville, which is a bustling metropolis. So bustling that if you blink, you'll miss it. You know, like that kind of a big city um, or a town, I guess it is technically. Well, at this camp, um, one, one of the things that happened is I, I was born in Liberia. We're literally on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, but me and water at that point just didn't like do well. You know, I was like, ocean there, me dry land. This is good, right? Um, but when I went to camp, right, I, I saw kids, you know, not just swimming, but, but jumping off the diving board. And I was like, that looks amazing, right? And they looked like they were having fun and hopping in and out, you know? I've got this little thing that I couldn't swim, right? So I went up to the diving board. And I think I was about nine years old at the time, maybe eight or nine, um, nine years old. And I remember like seeing like there was a low diving board, which, you know, like, some people did, but then there was a really high one. I was like, that looks amazing, right? So again, I forgot this whole I can't swim thing, and I climbed up to the high diving board. I jumped up, and I was thinking all these great thoughts, and you know, it was exciting. And then I hit the water. And something weird happened when you hit the water and you can't swim. You just keep going up and down and up and down and gurgling and gurgling. And, and the, the lifeguard actually had to jump in and, and save me, right? And so this guy was in the wedding last week. So I was like, hey, thanks for saving my life. God bless you. Um, but also at this camp, there was just a bunch of like wild things that happened to me at this camp. You know, like one week I was there and I stepped on a rusty nail and got to learn what a tetanus booster is. So that was exciting. My parents especially loved hearing that one. Um, but the other one that I always remember about this camp is, you know, one year they had a special week where they're like, listen, we're going to prepare you for your faith and grow you. It's going to be amazing, right? And the very first night of camp, they woke us up at midnight, right? So it was a bunch of 10 to 18-year-olds, wake us up at midnight, rush us out of the cabin, go to the flagpole, and at the flagpole, they were like, listen, Jesus can come back at any time. Go back to bed. And I was just like, you know, you could have just mailed this to me, you know what I mean? Like, you could have just sent me the memo, could have just told me this before I went to sleep, you know, like, I think I would have held on to it. Like, Jesus can come back at any time. Good, let me go back to sleep, right? So there was a lot of things that happened at this camp, and, and most of them were good memories, but the other thing I remember about this camp was the songs, the songs that we sung. And, and in these songs were not only songs we sung in my Sunday school growing up, but songs I didn't know. And what's interesting about these songs is that they stick with you years and years later. And one of my favorite songs at this camp was actually based loosely on Psalm 121. And the lyrics of this song were, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Oh, how I need you, Lord. You are my only hope. You are my only prayer. So I will wait for you to come and rescue me, to come and give me life. And I love this song, and I wish I could tell you I was some deep theologian growing up that, like, I would count upon this song, and it would be a deep, deep sort of prayer. But actually, this was the first memory I have of this song is, like, this was my workout song. Like, I played sports where, like, you know, I, I thought I was playing soccer, and the job of the, the, the soccer is to put the ball in the net, right? And I would have these coaches who thought the job was to make me run 10 miles, right? So it was just like, I would start singing these songs when I was, like, dying for breath. I'm like, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. God, help me, you know? 
But as I grew older, as life became about peaks and valleys and, and during the hard times, it was amazing how during those times the Spirit would conjure up this song inside of me. And no matter what I was going through or what people around me were going through or how life was going through, this song would come up time and time again. And this reminder that I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven and earth, creator of the earth. Oh, how I need you, Lord. You are my only hope. You're my only prayer. So I will wait for you to come and rescue me, to come and give me life. That was my song. And to this day, that is my song. And that song has become my prayer. I think that's important because as we jump back into Jonah, we've been talking about Jonah and saying, this is a story of God's love and mercy. But as we get back to Jonah, we're going to read actually the the end of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2. And what we have is Jonah's prayer. But Jonah's prayer is actually a song because in Jonah's prayer, a lot of the lines that he's saying shows up in the Psalms, which you have to remember that the Psalms were what songs they sang in the synagogue. So Jonah is able to take these songs of his youth that somebody invested in him and his family, took him to synagogue, taught him the Sunday school songs, if you will, right? He's able to take those Psalms and make them his prayer. I think that's something beautiful about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is able to take scripture or to take songs, or to take things that we experience and make them make sense and connect the dots and bring them up for us at the time that we need them. So as Jonah sings, we see it through his prayer that his reliance is on God. Now, you have to remember that when we leave Jonah, the last time we left him, we had kind of said that there's there's something weird going on here, that Jonah is the, the, the prophet, the man of God, but here's someone who's disobedient and fleeing. But yet, In the midst of all this, in the midst of him saying, Lord, I would almost rather die than listen to you. I would rather die than go and tell these people in Nineveh about you. I would rather them just throw me over to the sea. Even in the midst of this, he calls out to God, and God hears him. And God's love and mercy is faithful to Jonah, even when Jonah is not. And there's so many beautiful lessons in this passage, and I think that's probably the greatest one, that God's faithfulness is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on how faithful you are. It's not dependent on how good you are. It's not dependent on how perfect you are. God is going to be faithful because God is God, and God is faithful. God's going to be ready for you, whether or not you're ready for him. So God's love and mercy means God is faithful even when we're not. And the lesson we'll see as we jump into this passage is that Jonah prays from deep, from the distress, from from maybe even depression, from sorrow, from feeling so apart from God. He calls out to God. And what a blessing that the God we serve hears us when we pray. What a blessing that no matter what we're going through, a God is willing to hear us. And so that's what we go into this passage with. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. I'll be reading just the last verse in chapter 117 and then all of chapter 2. As Jonah prays, he sings the songs of his youth. The songs that he remembers has become his prayer. And his prayer is what we share today. Starting in verse 17 in chapter 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. 
From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents whirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. Some translations say, the engulfing waters were at my throat. The deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. Let's pray. Our Father, my God, we thank you so much that you, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, is the God who hears us. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you who live inside of us who believe, that you who are able to take even our murmurings and make them to make sense, that you're able to connect the dots for us, that you're able to, to not only take the songs that we know or the scriptures that we know, but even the life that we live, and not only make them make sense, but help them point them to you and the truths about God, that God is good, that God is merciful, that God forgives, that God is compassionate, that God is ours and that God is the world, and that God is working for our good. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you advocate on our behalf. And Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you that, yes, you left heaven to come to earth. That, yes, you taught us and, and showed us how to live and love to please God. That, yes, you went to Calvary's tree and you died for the world. Yes, that you were raised on the third day. And that before you left, you said that all who believe in you should be your witnesses and disciples who are not only baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but who you have sent out to show the world who you are and to tell the world what you've done through what you've taught us. And we thank you that one day, that even right now you're preparing heaven so it's perfect for us, but one day heaven will come down and heaven will come down to earth as we are united with you forever. But Lord, in the meantime... We thank you that you stand before the Father on our behalf. That no matter what we're going through, you're the mediator between us and God. That no matter how we feel or no matter where we are, that you're standing before the Father on our behalf. That we pray as you pray for us. That we call out and you hear us. That we reach out and find that you're already holding us. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Man, so as we jump back into Jonah, one of the things we've been able to kind of start off with is saying that for those of us who grew up in church, this is a very familiar story. The story of Jonah is one we maybe learned in Sunday school or VBS, and it seemed pretty straightforward at first glance, especially when we learned it as a kid, right? You have Jonah, he's a prophet, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, and he says no. So he tries to run away, and he gets on the ship, and, and there's a big storm, and God shows up, and, and he says, you know what, throw me overboard, and he throws him overboard. Big uh, fish comes, and it swallows him, and then he goes and tells the people, and it's good. But as we go through Jonah chapter by chapter, we find, like much of life, it's complicated the deeper you look. And there's questions you have to start asking. Is like, how does this story make sense when the man of God, the prophet, is the one who's disobedient? When the one that God is calling to say, tell people about my love, about my mercy, about my compassion, tell people that I want them to all belong to me, and he says, no. How do we hold on to a story where, where the prophet 
is not obedient or faithful, and it's the Gentiles, it's the outsiders who repent and turn to God. How do we tell this story when Jonah is not only disobedient, but he's so nationalistic? His focus is Israel, and he wants God to bless Israel. Kind of like some of us where we think our focus is America, and we say, God bless America, forgetting there's other countries in the world. That God actually wants to bless the world, not just America. How do we hold on to a story when Jonah says, God, I like that you love me. I like that you love my country and my people. I don't like that you like everybody else too. And I don't like that you want to bless everybody else through me. What do we do with that? Because I think as we go through the story of Jonah, we have the cheat sheet in the Old Testament. The cheat sheet is always this. God is the true hero of the story. Doesn't matter where you put your finger in the Old Testament, God is the true hero of the story. But this God is a God who loves the world. This God is a God who chose Israel to be a light to the nations, just like he chose Christ's followers to be a light for the nations. That this God who says, I have called you so I can work through you to bring them home. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. But how do we hold on to Jonah who's struggling with this idea that God loves me, yes, but God loves the world too. That God is working through me, yes, but God wants to work through me to reach my world. That it's not just about me and mine and my nation and God bless America or God bless Israel. It's about how is God blessing the world? How do we hold on to all of this? And how do we hold on to the fact that the spirit is here in the world working, but God and Jesus has left us behind, that God wants to work through us to show the world that his love and his mercy are available even through us. And that's what we come to as we come to Jonah's prayer. We begin with verse 17 of chapter 1, which is kind of like the summary statement, the synopsis, where the writer wants you to know that the, that the Lord Yahweh is present. He says, now the Lord Yahweh provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's a summary statement. That is actually going to say, this is what happened. This is why it's important. I'm going to get to the prayer, but this is what I want you to hold on to. This is the whole summarizing thing. One of the things we lose when we read our Bibles in English is the, the, the meaning of the words that are chosen. The writer of Jonah says, Yahweh is here. And you have to understand when they say Yahweh, they're not just saying, oh, the Lord God or God over there that I don't know. They're saying the God of the universe is here. The God of all creation is here. The God of all history is here. The God of all the past is here. The God of all the present is here. The God of all future is here. The God of me is here. The God who's with me is here. That's what Yahweh means. It's not this impersonal name of God. It's the personal name of God that says you are God of all creation. You're the God of all past, all present, all future. You're the God who's with me now. So the writer wants us to know that Yahweh is here. And he does want us to know that there's a big fish involved, right? But a lot of us spend so much time and energy figuring out this big fish, which we'll get to in a point. But he says Yahweh is in control. And then he makes a statement that it's probably easier for us to read now than people back then here. Because you have to remember that scripture was a communal practice. You know, in our day and age, it's like I read my Bible and I see what I get out of it. 
When the Bible is first written, and I think even today, it's supposed to be communal in nature. It's not about what I think and believe and get out of this. It's supposed to be about what we think and believe and what the Spirit says through all of us in this. And in this communal nature, the writer is putting this synopsis that like Jonah goes down for three days and three nights. And that's intentional because he might not even have known. But we know now that that's there for us today. Because the scripture is intentionally pointing to Jesus Christ. This happens a lot in the Old Testament. Abraham has is, is come before God and God says, Abraham, do you love anything or anyone more than me? And God asked him this impossible question. I want you to prove it. I want you to take your son of promise. I want you to take the son that you love. And I want you to put him on the altar table. Do you love anything or anyone more than me? And we have this impossible situation where we're like, how is God asking him to do this? But we must remember two things. One, Abraham loved nothing or no one more than God. And Abraham fully believed that if this is what God's want, and God promises this kid is going to be the son of promise, I don't know how he's going to do it. But this son will still live. Abraham had faith. That's why he went up to that mountain. But it points to Jesus. Because that same God who says, Abraham, are you willing to give up your only son? It's the same God who gave up his only son for us. It's the same God who asked the impossible, gave us the impossible, so that we can be saved and redeemed and ransomed and brought home again. So you have a lot of these Old Testament stories that point to Jesus. You have the Passover, which is still celebrated by, by Jewish people today. And they remember being enslaved in Egypt. And they remember the night when the angel of death is coming. And they remember the lamb, which again points to Jesus, was sacrificed. And that the blood over the doorpost, that the blood covered all their sins. And the blood saved them. Again, it points to Jesus. So Jonah points to Jesus because that three days and three nights is significant. And this isn't just some, like, spiritual imagination, right? This isn't just like, oh, it's three days and it just happens to be a great coincidence. Because when you get to Matthew chapter 12... Jesus himself reminds us that Jonah points to me. Just like Jonah went down in the depths of the earth in the belly of the fish for three days, I will go down to Sheol. I will go down to Gehenna. I will go down to the pits of hell. And on the third day, I will be raised again. So the writer wants us to know that these three days are more significant than how big the fish is. That when we go down, God can raise us back up. That when we struggle... God can hear us. That when the people around us are struggling, that God is in control. That when we can't swim and all we can do is doggy paddle and gurgle a little bit of water, the lifeguard is Jesus Christ. And that's what Jonah doesn't know. And that's what the writer may not have known, but that's what we, the reader, can hold on to. And in Matthew 12, Jesus himself says, Jonah points to me. Because he went down into the fish, I will go down to the earth. He was raised on the third day. I'll be raised on the third day. Now, I want to spend some time talking about this fish. Because this is what we do in Christianity, especially academics, right? We argue about the pointless things. We miss the whole point of the story. And there's been so many articles about how big this fish is. So I did some research this week. My science teachers would be very, very proud of me. I could Google. That's what the Google taught me this week. Number one, 71% of our earth or about 70, we gotta, be, we gotta be scientific accurate. About 71% of our earth is water. Almost three quarters of all the earth is water. Of that 70% of earth that's water, 97% is ocean. 
So I know you like rivers and lakes and stuff. That's all combined 3%. Most of it are the oceans. 97% is the oceans. Now, this is the one that blew me away. Of that 90% of the, the ocean water, we as humans, with all our brilliance, with all our technology, with all our knowledge, we've explored about 5% of the entire ocean. Now, we will spend billions of dollars to go to space for no reason. But we have a world where people don't have food to eat, right? We'll spend billions of dollars to, to go to space when we have a world where people don't even have drinking water, right? Like, we will spend billions of dollars to go explore space and find almost nothing. But even here on Earth, we have 95% of our ocean that we've never discovered. So I want you to hold on to that, right? Now, the second one I want you to hold on to is something they call deep sea gigantism. And all that means is exactly what it sounds like. The deeper you go into the ocean, the bigger the animals get. This is not something I made up. This is scientific. There's a scientific name, but I couldn't pronounce it, so I went with the English name. Deep sea gigantism, right? So again, we've only explored the surface layer of the ocean. We know the deeper you go, right, the bigger the animals get. And then here's the third thing we know. God is the God of all creation, <laughs> God is the God who spoke things into being. God is the God who all creation bows down to. God is the God, except we humans, we struggle with this, but the rest of creation actually submits to God and listens to God. God is able to create this big fish if God so desires. So you have 5% that we know, <laughs> things get bigger, and God can do whatever God wants. So that's what I think about the big fish. You just figure out the rest on your own. But I think the reason why we shouldn't focus on the fish is because the fish misses the real story and the real lessons that are in this story, that are in this prayer. Now imagine, I love to eat. Imagine if you made your best meal for me. Just don't put fish in it because I can't eat, I'll die. And no one wants that, right? But imagine you made your best meal ever for me. You bring it to my house and I was like, wow, this looks great. But tell me about the pot you cooked it in, right? Like, tell me about this pot. You're like, but eat the food. I'm like, no, 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 I want to know about the pot. You're like, the food's delicious. No, 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 tell me about the pot, you know? Tell me about the container you're bringing to getting us in. Or, or for some of you, like, imagine if you come to me, and you're like, Hank, I'm going to build you your dream house. I was like, ooh, let me see the pictures of it. Tell me about this paper. Tell me about the paper you drew this on. Like, explain to me how you made this paper. If we're focused so much on the container of the goodness, it's easy to miss the actual goodness. And I think that's what we do in the story of Jonah and the belly of the whale. We focus so much on how big the fish is, we miss the actual story and the goodness. And there's so much goodness in this story. Because the first thing we learn here is that when Jonah calls, when Jonah cries out, God answers and God listens. What a blessing for all of us that the God of the universe hears us when we cry. What a blessing to all of us that no matter what we're doing, what we're going through, how we're hurting, that God hears our prayers. What a blessing to all of us that no matter what the people around us are struggling with, no matter how overwhelming life becomes, no matter how much we can't deal with everything we have to deal with, that God hears us. Jonah says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. What a blessing that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is able to utter words to God that you can't even utter yourself. 
What a blessing that Jesus who died for you, who was raised for you, who's making heaven perfect for you, is standing before the Father right now on your behalf, praying for you. What a blessing that the God who holds you is holding you. Yeah, in my households growing up, in the different house I was in, it's been like a different household. It's like the only painting we ever had was footprints. Yeah? Then we came to America, we had the black Jesus, Martin Luther King, and, and now Obama, right? Like those were the three, those, those artwork in the houses I grew up in, right? And I always made fun of those footprints until I finally got it. That God is carrying us. Even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. And the, the beauty of all of this is that when we cry out, we have a God who hears us. And then Jonah remembers something, that no matter how hard this life gets, no matter how hard his surrounding gets, no matter how much distress he feels, that Yahweh God is in control. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and a current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. God, the engulfing waters threatened me. They were at my throat. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me forever. But you, Yahweh God, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. It's important for us to remember that God is in control. It's important for us to remember that when life is overwhelming, God is still in control. It's important for us to remember that when we're at our lowest, God is still in control. It's important for us to know when there's a sin or, or this, this depression or this, this anger or this anguish that we just can't shake, that God is still in control. And for some of us, it's not even about what we struggle with. For some of us, what becomes harder is when we see people we love struggle, and there's nothing we can do. But it has to be reminded to us that God is in control. No matter what they experience, no matter what they struggle with, no matter how hard life is, God is in control. What a blessing to us that when we're weak, our God is strong. That when we're overwhelmed, our God has overcome the world. What a blessing to us that when we reach our end, our God is only just beginning. That when we're tired, our God never tires of carrying us, of holding us, of helping us, of pushing us through. Jonah remembers that no matter how much the world is not as it should be, no matter how much the world is just terrible and everything's going terrible, no matter how much the waves are swirling around him. And for some of us, that's been the last year and a half, or that might be our week, that things just seem too overwhelming. Everything's just going crazy around us. That God is in control. And Jonah remembers that and helps reminds us of that. But then, as you go to verse 7, he says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah remembers God's faithfulness. And I think this is an important lesson because God's faithfulness is not dependent on us. Jonah hasn't been faithful. You know, when I feel really bad about myself, I just read the Bible. Not for anything deeply spiritual, but just to feel better about myself. It really works, you know? Like I look at Jonah, I'm just like, man, he's supposed to be the prophet of God, and he's running from God. He's given a clear path that God wants him to be on. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, God is like, I want you to do this. He's like, no, I think I'm good. God says, I want to love the world. He's like, mm, I just want you to love me and mine. Yet God still works 
through him. God still works in him. God is still transforming him. What a blessing. And I think this is something we have to hold on to. That God's faithfulness is not dependent on your goodness. That God's faithfulness is not dependent on you being perfect. That God's faithfulness is not dependent on you being right. Because that's one of the lies we tell ourselves. When I get myself together, I'll come before God. When I solve this big issue, I'll come before God. When I got it all figured out, I'll come before God. But this prayer and this story reminds us that we are to come before God now. Because even when we're not faithful, our God is faithful. Even when we think we got it all under control and we realize we don't, our God is faithful. When we're overwhelmed, our God is faithful. And then Jonah has this truth that comes out of him. He stops singing the songs of his youth. He stops reciting these psalms that, he, that became his prayers. And in chapter 8, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. It's a simple truth. If you have anything in your life that matters more than God, it will turn you away from God. Now, for some of us, we think about the negative stuff, and it's easy, right? Like, if you struggle thinking about, you know, holding on to your future or, or thinking about money and finances or, or sex and addiction, like, all those things, it's very easy to be like, yeah, if I throw those away and leave those in the past, like, God will be good for me. We don't live in a culture where we have idols like they did back then. Most of us don't have idols that we put on the mantle that we worship. But I think what's hard for us as Christians aren't the things that we know that are bad that we shouldn't be doing. Because if you already know they're bad and you shouldn't be doing them, you're at least on the right track. But the idols that we need to be wary of are the things that are good that we put before God. Things like our, our family, things like our children, our grandchildren, things like our job or our status, things like our futures or our bank account. Things about our good name, right? Things that, that, that exalt us and put us first. Those things that are good that we put before God. Because if we're investing more time in our name, if we're investing more time in our career, if we're investing more time in our bank account, if we're investing more time in even our children, our family, then we're investing in God's kingdom. That is an idol that's going to turn us away from God. And that's the truth that Jonah kind of punches us. We're Anabaptists. We don't believe in violence, but sometimes it comes anyway, right? It punches you right between the eyes. That if anything you're pouring into, if you're giving your gifts, your skills, your abilities, your time, your resources, everything at your focus, if you're building something for you and not working for God's kingdom, that thing you're building is an idol. And so Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And then another beautiful truth comes out of this. Because Jonah, we don't know if he repents. And this is actually a very fun, intellectual, boring for some people, but in, it's fascinating argument of like, does Jonah actually repent in this here? You know, there's some people who feel like he's just reciting old Sunday school songs, right? You can find the phrases he uses here in a bunch of different psalms, which are, again, just songs, right? Songs in the Old Testament. Now, some people will be like, oh, no, no, he was at his deepest and he's crying out to God, so of course that's repenting. But if you look at the text, he never really says, I'm sorry, right? He never really says, God, I will listen to you now. He never really says, God, uh, yeah, I know you want me to go to Nineveh, but uh, I said I wouldn't do it, so please forgive me. Like, none of that happens. But what I love is that God, God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love isn't dependent on us getting it right. And I feel like that should give us a little bit of breathing room. 
And I'm not saying that what you do doesn't matter, because that's how some of us take this. We're like, well, if God's going to love me anyway, I can do whatever I want. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying that it's not about you getting it right. It's about you trusting that God is right, that God is in control, that God is good, that God is merciful. So when Jonah gets to the end, he says this, I know and I will say that salvation comes from the Lord. So he may not have repented, or maybe he did. He may not have figured it out, but maybe he did. He may not have asked for forgiveness, or maybe he did eventually. But we know that at the end of the song, at the end of the prayer, Jonah says, everything I have belongs to you, and my only salvation is going to come from you. Salvation only belongs to you. And then I had an existential crisis. Because Jonah's pouring his heart here, right? He's pouring his heart out to God, right? He's just like, he's at his wit's end. He's been tossed into the sea. He would rather die. Everything seems out of control. He's in a, a stinking fish. I don't know if you've ever been around fish. They don't smell very good, right? Like, it's not good for deodorant, right? He's inside of a fish crying out. And after he cries out and says, God, I throw my hands up. Salvation belongs to you. You know how God responds? He tells the fish to vomit him out. And that made me think about it. It's just like, man, when I pour out my heart to God, is he vomiting me out? Like, I don't know how I feel about that, right? So somebody solve that and let me know next week, right? But Jonah gets vomited out. But I think if we stop there, we'll go into the rest of the story as we continue through Jonah in chapter 3. I think there's a lot of lessons here that we can pull out from this prayer that are so helpful to us. And maybe the over, over I was going to say the underlining, yeah, the underlining lesson is probably just simply this. We need to be people that pray. Because our God answers and our God listens to our prayers. I think that's the lesson of this. Because as you look through this story, you'll see that God's faithfulness is never dependent on Jonah. Again, we can talk about all the ways that Jonah failed, right? He didn't listen to God. He didn't follow God. He ran away from God. He would rather die than actually do what God calls him to do. And so the first reason is when I ask you to come to God in prayer and be people of prayer is that we need to pray because God's faithfulness is not dependent on you. Yes, you may fall short. Yes, you may not be perfect. Yes, you may not even be trying your best. But there's something about our God where everything that you give him, he's able to work with. We think we have to have the perfect meal to give to God, and God seems to be like, just give me some of the ingredients and I'll figure out the rest. <laughs> you know, we think we have to build the perfect house for God to be like, wow, I love you now. <laughs> you know, you build me a good house, right? But God be like, I just want you to think about the house, and that's enough to get us started, right? We think we have to have the, the, the perfect outfit, right, to, to come before God. Like, we have to have all our lives in order, you know, all our kids in order, our future, like, everything needs to be lined up, and then we come before God, and God seems to be like, I just need you to turn to me. Because it's never about how faithful you are. It's about what you're willing to give and what a blessing we have. That the God who answers our prayer, that the God who forgives us even when we can't forgive ourselves, that the God who says, no matter what you give to me, I can use that. What a blessing we have that God doesn't expect you to be perfect or to even give him everything right now. He wants you to do that. Don't get me wrong. But whatever you're willing to give God, God's going to take it and use it. And that's what Jonah's prayer teaches us. The second one I think is just as important is we need to pray because there's no ocean that's too deep. There's no distress that's too great. There's no pain that's too powerful. There's nothing you've been through that God cannot handle. And I've been saying this for months now, and I want it to sink in. But there's nothing you can bring before God that's going to stump God. You're not going to be like, God, 
You will never believe what happened to me. He'll be like, well, actually, yeah, <laughs> I do. I was there. But it was also more seriously. There's no pain. There's no struggle. There's no addiction. There's no affliction. There's no anguish. There's no solemn. There's no sadness. There's no depression. There's, no, there's nothing you can go through that God hasn't already healed. And this also extends to the people around us. Because for some of us, we might be doing all right. We look around, we see friends and family who are struggling, who just can't beat the demons, who life is just overtaking. And we see them struggling, and we, we, we just don't know what to do. But it's okay to come back to our God, because we need to pray. Because this God who says no ocean is too deep can make a miracle where we can't even see the miracle. This God who is in control, can help them even when we can't help them. I think that's why we pray, because this God who hears our prayer, this God who's not dependent on our faithfulness, this God says to not only us, but to the people in our lives, there's no ocean too deep. Then my deep love for you. There's no distress too great. Then my mercy for you. There's no pain so hurtful that I cannot heal. There's no brokenness that I cannot make right. We pray because God's faithful, not because we're faithful. We pray because there's no ocean too deep, no distress too great. We pray because our God is in control. If you're sitting here this morning and you look at your life, or you look at the lives of the people around you, or you look at the world around you, or even just your world, your, your neck of the woods, and you say, God, I don't know what to do. God, I am overwhelmed. God, I can't do it on my own. God says, it's okay, my daughter. It's okay, my son. Just give it to me. It's okay that you're overwhelmed. Jesus has overcome the world. It's okay that you can't do it on your own. God is bigger and stronger than anything you can imagine, and God is on your side. It's okay that the world is out of control because God is holding you and the world together. And then the last thing I think this, this teaches us is that lesson that Jonah says at the end, I know that salvation is from the Lord. And that's why we pray. When I was a kid, I used to love alliteration. I still do. And I wrecked my brain this week for the third E, and I couldn't figure it out, so it must not have been important, right? When we think about salvation, it's not just about God's eternal salvation. When we say salvation belongs to the Lord, we have to know that there's also an everyday salvation that's affordable to us. The eternal salvation is important. You can't be a Christian unless you believe in Jesus Christ. And when we say believe in Jesus Christ, it means you believe the full gospel of Jesus Christ. So many of us think believing Jesus means I believe he died on the cross for my sins. But you missed the full gospel. God wants you to get the whole story and believe the whole story. And that whole story is that Jesus is God of eternity past, the one who spoke the world into creation, the creation into existence, the one who through everything was made, that one left heaven to come to earth, to move into our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says, and to walk among us. 
And that one not only walked among us, but he showed us how to live and love to follow and please God. So when you believe in Jesus, you look to Jesus. And what Jesus says, we will do. Where Jesus calls, we will go. What Jesus asked of us, we submit to. You believe in Jesus, you believe that he left heaven to come to earth because heaven always comes down. You believe that he walked to please God, so you follow his steps and walk to please God. You believe that he went to Calvary's tree. You believe that he died not just for you, not just for yours, but for the world. For God to love the world. And you believe that God raised them on the third day. Not just to say death is defeated and destruction is defeated and sin is defeated, but to say that I redeem, that you now can belong to me. And you believe that Jesus, before he went to heaven, says, I'm leaving my spirit and I'm leaving you, my disciples, my church, to teach people what? everything that I have taught you, to be my witnesses where you are so that others can be drawn to me. And you believe that Jesus went up to heaven, yes, he's making it perfect for you, but one day heaven will come down in all its glory. At the end of Revelation, you see that beautiful story of heaven coming down. So believing in Jesus is important. And if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, I'd like to invite you to do it today. Because your eternal salvation belongs to the Lord. And you have to submit and say, Lord, forgive me for falling short. Forgive me for choosing me. Forgive me for choosing disobedience. Forgive me for running away. And maybe you've already made that decision and the forgiveness looks a little bit different. Maybe it looks like God forgiving me for the good that I've left undone. Forgive me for building my own kingdom and not yours. Forgive me for using my gifts, my skills, my abilities for me and not for you. Forgive me for thinking I got it all under control. Forgive me for thinking I have to hold it all together. Forgive me for thinking that I'm the Lord of my life. There's eternal salvation available, but I also love that there's everyday salvation available too. That for people who are struggling our God hears them. For people who need Jesus right now in this moment, our God is with them. I love that we serve a God that there's no addiction too big for. There's no affliction too big for. There's no pain that's too overwhelming or overpowering. I love that we serve a God who's with us now. And so some of us may not need that eternal salvation, right? We know God for us. We believe in Jesus. We're following Jesus the best we can. But maybe we need that everyday salvation. Maybe we need the, the God to, to be like, no, 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 no. Just trust me. Just obey me. Just follow me. I'd like to invite Pastor Hannah and the rest of the worship team up. And we're going to end by singing a song that's pretty familiar around here, Lord, I need you. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to do two things. The first one is as we sing this song, I want you to think about not just the lyrics of the song, but I, I start off saying how, you know, a lot of times our songs can become, can become our prayers. And how a lot of psalms, there were songs in the Old Testament, have not only become scripture, but they become our prayers too. So I want to challenge you to maybe hold on to a phrase or a word or some, some, some statement in this song that's going to be your prayer this week. That when the overwhelming comes, you can pray that prayer through this verse or this song or this line. That when the times where you feel like everything's out of control, you can hold on to this as well. I'd also like to invite any of the pastors in the room. We're going to be up front praying for you. If there's something you want to re respond to in the service, 
Maybe there, 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 there's, a, there's a salvation that you need. Maybe you've never fully given your life to Jesus. Or maybe, just maybe, you're saying, God, I need that everyday salvation. There's a situation I'm in that's overwhelming, that's too much for me, that I need you, Lord. Or maybe there's someone on your heart in your life that needs God's salvation too, that need God to intercede right now. I'd like to invite you so we can pray together for them as well. Let's stand and sing together, Lord, I need you.